Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Selby Is Godcast. That diaper needs a change. Oh my God, that's Meisel's music. Who will change the beer? <laughs> After a month away, he has returned. He is back to the podcast, the new papa. It's Zach Meisel. A diaper needs a change, and who will change it? The baby's in control, the daddy can't take it. Crying's gotta end, it's your turn to take him. It's all about your sleep, and you're not gonna get it. Put him over your shoulder, ready to ralph. Oh my god, it's everywhere, better grab a towel. He is the babe, and he makes the rules. Grab that binky and dance like a fool. Try to figure out when the crying's gonna be. Come on over, dad, don't forget that blankie. Peekaboo is the best thing you can say. Cause he is the babe, and he wants to play. The question is, whose side is he on? The diaper needs to change. What do you got to say for yourself? I'm speechless. Good. Spent all of why 10 minutes you, working on that. Why did you ever leave your past heavy metal life? <laughs> I think that was exhibit A right there. That was the reason why. How long did that take you? <laughs> oh, about 10 minutes. Well, 20 minutes once you include ripping the song illegally off YouTube and then <laughs> laying in bed uh, like maybe a week and a half ago and coming up with those lyrics. It was the, the embodiment of the meme, you know, the meme where the wife and the husband are laying in bed and he's flipped one way. She's looking over her <laughs> shoulder. He's probably thinking of other girls that played out. She's in there. She's looking over to see what I'm doing. I'm writing lyrics to a return song for you. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you think of me when you're in bed. I appreciate that. <laughs> Can't you tell how much I missed you? I'm tired of carrying this show. What's been going on? We've been running through guests. We've been having fun. Did then you I got run sick out sick on your big it. return? I mean, it was kind of. It was refreshing, actually. It was it was kind of refreshing having guest hosts on to actually know what they're talking about. That was a nice thing. Nice touch. You had you had eight guest hosts. Rank them, best to worst. Go. <laughs> Um, I don't know if I can rank their appearance. Maybe how difficult it was to get each of of them on the show. Ooh, All of yeah. them to who varying is, degrees of difficulty. Who was most standoffish? Who seemed like they <laughs> least wanted to join you? Well, what I should do is share the receipts of everyone that just ignored me or big-timed me. That's what I sure. should do. Name some names. In the Discord. And by the way, if you're not on our Discord... Come join the Patreon, patreon.com slash SelbyIsGodcast. And then you get access to the Discord, and you have people sending us suggestions for what we should do on the show. And I listened to those suggestions. I, I heard some guest host requests. I put some feelers out. I even sent some text messages out and got no reply. None. Luckily, hmm. Adam the Bull saved me one day. He, like, immediately answered and said, yeah, I'm down. So great otherwise it's just going to be me sitting here for an hour nobody wants that i don't know if you've had some if you, if you played some of your uh your classic wrestling heavy metal mashups uh that would be entertaining <laughs> now will you use that as a ringtone do people still do that that personalized ringtones or like remember when you you call someone and Instead of just the normal beep, the normal tone you get while waiting for them to answer that would play a song. Do people do that? Like the ringback tone? Yeah. yeah like I my mom, that. I think we've talked about this before. My mom has the dog barking as her ringtone and it's just, it's embarrassing. And you go in public too and you hear what? that dog barking. Why? And, <laughs> and and people of, not to say my mom is old, she's very young. But people of that age always, they seem to like always let it ring on loud. I'm not saying she necessarily does this, but like they wait until the, 
until the last possible second to either answer it or they just put it back in their pocket but they let the ringtone keep playing and it's this loud dog barking and it's just do, <laughs> do people do that do people still have songs as ringtones uh we could bring it back we could establish okay. that trend and, and this could be song like every the one that's gonna do it everybody that is 65 70 years old with a and dude answer that man <laughs> just click the side when's the last time you even left your phone on the sound and just didn't have it on vibrate in your pocket um before i got a i swear we're going to talk baseball eventually well but i can't i don't know anything about baseball Catch me up. What's Thanks going for coming, on everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming. Well, I have one thing. I don't know if you saw, but the uh, the current MVP race, no contest. It's Aaron Judge, and <laughs> and it's really not even close, at least according to some. That I don't even remember who actually tweeted that. I have no idea. But I, I did it's see the guy that, that has the uh, the Derek Jeter documentary coming out. Oh, crazy to think and, that he'd be. Uh, in a Yankees player's corner. <laughs> it's shocking. Absolutely shocking. Yeah. Um, hey, listen, if you think Aaron Judge has been the most valuable player this year, I don't really have any beef with that because uh, I don't know how much time you've spent at Fangraphs late at night burping a baby over your shoulder, but currently, this is not the be-all, end-all, but currently... Aaron Judge leads baseball with a 3.7 wins above replacement. The dude's rocking a 199 WRC plus, slashing 318, 391, 686 with 24 bombs. And he's playing center field half the time for the Yankees. So that raises the value a little bit too, just from a positional value standpoint. But to say that it's not even close, <laughs> that's kind of laughable. Kind of laughable. So you haven't seen a ton of of the games here recently, but I'm sure you still get the alerts on your phone and you still see every video of Jose Ramirez ripping doubles, slamming home runs, stealing bags. And I don't even, I mean, it's not even Jose, like Rafael Devers is having a hell of a year too. So to say that it's not even close between judge and, and the field, really laughable. Confession time. I've actually watched like every inning of every game. Uh, it's been weird. Uh, I feel like I've gained an appreciation for certain elements of the broadcasts that like I wasn't necessarily privy to before. Um, like for example, I, I don't know if you caught the Peacock broadcast on Sunday. I really enjoyed like Rick Manning and Dallas Braden and Jason Benetti all together in the broadcast. Could have done without the weird Swisher sideline stuff. Um, but I thought the, the broadcast itself was really Is there anything worse <laughs> than someone on level Swisher at 11 a.m.? At 11 o'clock in the morning? No. That's um, awful. But no, I, I to your point, Judge is awesome. I can't argue that he's not the MVP, but like you said, I can argue that Jose Ramirez has a pretty good case too, and that it should be fun to watch these guys the rest of the season. I mean, we have a hundred games left. Like we don't need to declare a winner right now. It's certainly not over. It's certainly not um, a landslide here. The, the way, all the ways in which Jose Ramirez impacts games is it makes it such a treat to watch. Like, he gets one at bat where he's allowed to swing at a decent pitch because there are runners on and they can't walk him. And he always capitalizes the way he runs the bases. He's the best base runner in baseball. And he's been that for years and he's not fast. That's what makes it even more fun. Um, we know the helmets flying. We know he's got that strut and that swagger and he's talking tons of trash and um, he's a goof. But I mean, the, the things he does in the baseball field are just, spectacular to watch it's a treat it's so nice knowing that we don't have to have the conversation of all right should they trade him this summer are they going to trade him this winter what are they going to do like i'm so glad that's all in the past so i think it makes it more enjoyable for fans too i mean this is sort of what we we had said why it was so important to sign him 
is fans don't have that fear. They can go buy his jersey. They can appreciate what they're seeing knowing it's going to be here and they're going to get to watch him for years to come. Um, so uh, it's they're two very different players. I mean, it's weird. Judges like hitting leadoff and playing center field when I envision his six foot eight frame and you know all the power he has at least like would Mike Hargrove be hitting him first and playing him in center field if this was 1995 (laughs) could you imagine that conversation with Albert Bell (laughs) Albert listen we need you to hit first what what about my RBI no we need you to hit first. Oh, you're going to play center field too. <laughs> that was... And the other thing is, that was not going to. Happen. I know, I know. Ramirez has had clearly he's come up with runners on base a lot, right? Because he leads the world in RBIs. But Straw and Rosario hitting ahead of him most nights now. Those guys on base percentages are pretty low. So I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I would imagine Ramirez's stats with runners aboard, with runners in scoring position, are really, really strong. And he's just, it's he's capitalizing on every single opportunity, and he has to do that for this team. I mean, the Yankees have threats up and down the lineup. And that's not to take anything away from Judge, who's been fantastic. But you just think about who means more to their team. I don't know that there's anybody in the league who means more to their team than Jose Ramirez. Are you ready for this? Base is empty, Jose Ramirez this year. And this is not projectable. It doesn't suggest anything, really. It's just a fun number. Base is empty, slashing 236, 328, 473. That's an 801 OPS. And current baseball is still very good. It's a 129 WRC+. plus. Men on base, 354, 454, 828. That is a 1282. OPS, 12,000, almost 13. Men in scoring position. Like you think, oh, well, that's as good as he can be. Men in scoring position. 353, 500, because obviously gets walked a lot too. 863, that's a 1363 OPS. In his ISO, that's the isolated power with, with men in scoring position. 510, 510. (laughs) <laughs> I'm sorry, that's that's mind-boggling. And I think it's it's kind of refreshing. You know, when you're around the team, you learn certain things about the players personally, and you learn interactions, and you get a behind-the-scenes look of, of how players get the way that they are, what changes they're making, all of that. But I think you're right. You gain a different perspective when you're when you're not there, when you're just watching on TV, because so often when you're at these games, when you're in the press box, as much as it should be your job to to pay attention to every intricate detail when you're watching the game from the press box, you just can't. You're too far away. You don't always have access to all the information that the people on television do. I mean, they got cameras. They can zoom in. They can do whatever they want. To follow it from afar, you do gain a little bit of a different perspective, and I think you can just gain more of an appreciation for the total package that Jose Ramirez is as a hitter. And it's also fun to see some of these other broadcast teams come in, and it's not like it's any surprise. Everyone knows Jose Ramirez is great. But to hear them elaborate on what makes him so special, and I think for Cleveland to know that that's their guy, he's not going anywhere, it's made it easier to digest this season a little bit more calmly when things aren't going well, and maybe appreciate it a little bit more when things are going well. Because if Jose Ramirez wasn't locked up, Zach, guess what would happen? They'd be where they're at in the standings, and you'd say, yeah, but you only got this guy for another year and and change. And so you get to appreciate the entire package with him locked up and then getting to see it from afar, too. He has an outside shot. Eh, Maybe not even an outside shot. Maybe it's he has a chance at 50 home runs, 50 doubles. Only player in baseball history who's done that is Albert Bell, 95. I think he's on pace for like 47 home runs and like 50 doubles right now. He has 37 extra base hits, 33 walks, and only 17 strikeouts. I mean, it's it's a player hitting for that much power, you would think, would be swinging and missing quite a bit. But 
that's not... I mean, he really is a unicorn. There's nobody who has the sort of profile he does where... We've talked about this a ton. He makes so much contact, has such a good grasp of the strike zone, makes pitchers submit to his demands, and then when they do, he doesn't miss. He crushes it. So it's it's so much fun to watch. Nine stolen bases. I mean, it's... What are his weaknesses? Does he have any? Too much swag? I don't know. The yeah. problem is I care too much. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's tough to find anything to really nitpick. I mean, when he had that stretch a few years ago when he kind of got out, out of sorts offensively and got caught up in trying to slap the ball the other way and lost sight of what makes him special. The fact that he's not going to strike out, he makes so much contact, but he pulls stuff in the air and he just makes pitchers pay when they leave a fastball anywhere that's hittable. But what I've enjoyed about his transformation this year, and Anthony Kastrovitz and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that there, there's something, and I'm not saying it's projectable or, or something that you truly buy into, but there is something to someone in an RBI position, to put that in air quotes, where you have to, to learn how to drive in runs. People used to always yell at Carlos Santana because he would take a walk with a guy at, on, on second base. Remember the old, it was basically a meme at, at that point where he's selfish. He's taking selfish walks because people wanted to, him to expand and drive in the run. And it gets frustrated when, when no one else is in the lineup to drive anybody in and your quote-unquote run producer is taking a walk. So, I mean, I, I kind of get it, but it was also really silly. What I've enjoyed about Ramirez this year, yeah, he's he's patient. He's not going to swing it too much that he can't handle. But we've seen him on occasion just ground a ball into the infield and not get a run. Serve a ball the other way. And maybe it doesn't leave, lead to a home run, but it's driving in a pair because it's finding open grass. I've been so pleased and encouraged in every adjective you can think of to watch him achieve this new level where he's like the best of every world right now. He's, he's got the power, he's lacking strikeouts, and he's still able to expand when he needs to to put a run on the board. I think he has found the perfect balance here, and it's a hell of a lot of fun to watch. Can I make a criticism? I, I don't think he should be hitting That's third. what you're going to do? 17 minutes into the into the podcast, you're going to bring your grievances? Thanks. I don't think he should be hitting third in this lineup. Um, because of what I mentioned. I mean, it, it's just... Like, Straw has really struggled for the last six weeks, maybe. Ahmed Rosario looked really good against a lefty on Sunday. But just he's never going to be a high on base percentage guy. So my lineup, I'd have Quan hitting first against righties. I'd have Rosario hitting first against lefties. And in either scenario, I'd have Ramirez hitting second. Get him more plate appearances if you can. And then I, I mean, I would shuffle the rest of it too. I'd probably have Andres Jimenez hitting third, maybe. Um, I don't know. Gonzalez, Naylor, Miller, somewhere in the middle. Is that fair? Does that make sense? And I'd, I'd hit Straw probably ninth. And then... Uh, well, it depends who's who's in the corner outfield. But I, I just... I think Ramirez should be hitting second. I think having him after two low on-base percentage guys is kind of... Isn't working. I shouldn't say isn't working. The, the guy's got 3,000 RBIs. <laughs> but it's... I think it could be more efficient. And Jimenez shouldn't be a platoon guy hitting seventh. I don't understand that. Yeah, 171 is the current pace for Ramirez. It's kind of working. I get your point, though. Even if you didn't want to shuffle him within the lineup, you think for some reason it's going to mess with his psyche. I don't know. There's an element here that you can't quantify. But I think you're you're 100% right about getting people that are a little bit more capable of getting on base in front of him. The problem with the, the lineup being what it is... Okay, so Miles Straw still capable of drawing a walk, but I think when, when he's not going well, teams are just going to throw him strikes. 
until he finally gets into a groove offensively, then they have to be a little bit more careful because they don't want to give up a a base hit that turns into a double with his speed, and then that's when you start seeing the walks tick up again. So maybe him having a couple of good days would be a good thing to get that on-base percentage raised. Let's go through the rest of the lineup. Are there a lot of great on-base percentage guys to stick in front of Ramirez? Jimenez no, doesn't that's, walk. That's why he should hit Oscar second. Gonzalez doesn't walk. Josh Naylor walks very infrequently. Who? Who, who walks? It, it's, it's all about putting the ball in play, baby. It's not too much about the walk. Right. So you agree with me? That they should move him up to get more mm-hmm. plate appearances? Mm-hmm. He should be hitting leadoff playing center field. Well... <laughs> I just, I think, why wait longer to to have your situations where you can produce runs? Because if he's getting on base, whether it's a walk or a double or whatever, have that happen sooner. And then Jimenez, why? I don't, I don't get the Jimenez thing. I can tell you he's not playing shortstop because they want Rosario to preserve some trade value and... I think Arias is going to come up and play shortstop eventually anyway. But um, Jimenez against not playing against lefties. lefties time to does, inflate that trade value. Yeah. Jimenez not playing against lefties doesn't make sense. And he should be hitting higher in the order. So I would go Quan slash Rosario one, Ramirez two. I don't know. Jimenez three, Gonzalez four, Naylor five, Miller six. I have no clue what you do when sure. Fran Mel Reyes comes back. Well, that's all dictated by what Fran Mel Reyes is coming back. <laughs> I saw some people in the Discord filling out their 2023 lineups and it did not have Fran Mel Reyes in it. Uh, okay, I know things have been bad for a couple of months here, and he's not in the picture right now. I'm still factoring Fran Mel Reyes into the plans in 2023 until I see something that really changes my mind, and it's not going to happen within two months, I can assure you of that. So what do you do with Reyes, Gonzalez, Naylor, Nolan Jones? That's four people for three spots. Mm. I don't know. It's going to be tough to play Ahmed Rosario because I want Jimenez in there. Most days I want Owen Miller in there. And Miller's probably got to play second base to make room for the rest of them. Oscar Gonzalez is blowing my mind with the way he that he's succeeding. As I te- texted you, pretty much the opposite of what I would have anticipated. He would have the formula for him to succeed. Mm-hmm. What, what did you send me if you would have told me X amount of hits and so many plate appearance? What, what did you say? Well, now we can extrapolate this. It's now it's what twenty five hits in sixteen games. If I would have told you he'd have that many, how many home runs would you guess he he had? <laughs> At least. Four or five, maybe closer to six. Yeah, he's been the antithesis to what you would think he is. But, I mean, he's still a lot of doubles, so it's not like these have all been singles here. You know, that 531 slugging here with the a lower ISO than I would have thought. But, yeah, the way that he's succeeding is not what I would, would have expected. I also didn't think the strikeout rate would decrease from AAA to being at 12.3%. I mean, and it's fun because we saw Stephen Kwan go through this period where guys adjust to him, and then you see what adjustments he makes back. That can be more meaningful than that first, whatever you want to call it, stretch of being on fire. Because the adjustments are what I'm more concerned with or more interested by because those are the things that are going to prolong a career and going to keep you a consistently good player. So it's... I mean, you you would just prefer a guy come up and hit 400 his whole career and there's no problem. That's not how it works. I kind of like seeing the guys go through the struggles and then come out of it. That's why it's been encouraging to see see Stephen Kwan have some good games here recently, to see that it's not shaking his confidence, to see that when he is doing the things he needs to do, which is mostly just slashing line drives and getting away from ground balls and fly balls, he can still have success. Those are encouraging. And we're going to wait to see what happens with Oscar Gonzalez. How are pitchers going to adjust to him? Because they have some idea of what this guy is successful at. But they're going to change their game plan. They're going to do different things. They're going to throw him different sorts of pitches. I'm looking forward to that. 
Okay, so you have no idea how you're going to fit Nolan Jones into the equation. What about Will Brennan, who's hitting like 700 at AAA? <laughs> God. Yeah. I what about George Valera? Who? I just There are too many guys. I know you guys were talking about guys becoming dudes, but it's hard to figure out which guys are dudes when there's too many guys to evaluate. <laughs> and what level of dude? Dude 1.0, dude 2.0. How do you how do you decide? Uh one final thing on on Gonzalez. The team can't take too much of a victory lap on him because they left him out there for anybody to grab. So like I want to believe in what he's doing as I've said we we talked about it when he came up. He has a lot of warning signs that, that lead me to believe that he's not going to be uh, an ultra successful sort of player in the major leagues, but he succeeded at every level and he's earned the opportunity to go out and show us that he, whatever he's doing that can translate to this level. But the team still left him out there. They they left him there for everyone to protect. So I can look at the fact that he's got a, a rest of season zips pr- projection of 112 WRC plus or a steamer one of 124. The bat is even at 105. The bat X, which is based more on StatCast data, 108. They're all, to some degree, believing in what he's doing as far as just being an above-average hitter, and they still left him unprotected. That's, I guess that's the one thing that sticks in my mind, and it's like, I, I want to buy into it, but still, the team was, was semi-alarmed about his skill set. Yeah, because I think it looked like some form of Bobby Bradley, just the profile, not maybe not as extreme boomer bust, but it just didn't seem like something that was going to be, I mean, they protected a lot of, a lot of guys who have already contributed or certainly will. I mean, we're talking top prospects here, Rocchio, Valera, uh, guys like that. So it's not like they kept anyone totally egregious in lieu of him. I mean, maybe like John Kenzie Noel was a little bit of a stretch just because of his age and his level. Um, but that's, he honestly might be a, a similar type of hitter eventually, um, or we might be having a similar type of conversation. The thing with Gonzalez is, I mean, you said it, he, like he's doing the opposite of what you expected in terms of just the whole profile. So, if you expect guys to get to their levels, as, as Tito always says, and, and he'll start striking out more and he'll continue to walk rarely, if ever. Um, but at the same time, he's done all this and he hasn't hit a home run yet. So I would think that he'd exhibit even more power at some point. It's weird. You're right. I don't think they can take a victory lap. I think Gonzalez appreciated some just swing changes or approach changes that he made with Cleveland's brass last year and that he was never actually going to leave when he was a minor league free agent, but they didn't protect him from the Rule 5 draft. I think he very well could have been selected by somebody. Um, And then, you know, is he doing this with the Pirates right now instead? And then uh, I think the team is kicking itself a little bit. So... They're fortunate the way it worked out. You could say the same thing about Joey Cantillo, who's pitched lights out over the last six weeks. Um, But Gonzalez is just like a total enigma to me. I don't know what to expect right now because, yeah, maybe he starts to strike out more and there is more boom or bust and you're having Bobby Bradley PTSD, but he's going to hit some over the fence at some point too. And when that all evens out, you know, is what he's done these first few weeks, is there anything in there that he can fall back upon? Uh, like we saw Stephen Kwan tear the cover off the ball for a few weeks at a level where you're like, okay, we know this guy's going to fall back to earth. And even if he goes through a slump, you know that's in there. You know, you know he's got that baseline talent. Um, so maybe you can, maybe it's the same with Gonzalez. Maybe now it's like, okay, well, we've seen it. And he should have the confidence to know that he can hit major league pitching and, and he's he's making such hard contact. And I don't know, maybe that helps him sort of exceed certain expectations 
within his profile. Or maybe not. Do you think there was some... Maybe he'll just regress and that'll be it and he'll be out of baseball. I don't know. I mean, what what do you think? I'm trying to work this through in my head. It is always dangerous. Do you think there was some 4D chess going on where the team... It's not that they didn't have their own concerns, but they figured every other team who looks at this data the same way they do now, everyone's on the same page with what, how you evaluate hit, hitters and the, the sort of profile that everyone cares about now, that they said everyone else is going to be just as alarmed and not take a shot on this guy. But, like, the Rockies exist. I don't know. The, the Pirates are always in the market for getting Cleveland's retreads. I, I think someone would have taken it. I, I would need to do more research on the the ability the, or the track record of players who have gotten selected in the Rule 5 draft in the past. Um, I don't know. Like, Akil Badu got taken. I don't remember what his numbers were in the minors, but, like, Gonzalez is... Not a single sure. A, wasn't it? Yeah, but that's, that's what I'm saying is, like... I think maybe maybe that's what the Cleveland's front office would have argued. But I feel like, I mean, there's 29 other teams. And there are some really crappy teams who don't have internal options in the corner outfield that they'd be excited about. Don't you think somebody would have taken him? Yeah, I do. I'm, I'm just trying to come at this from the other direction. I'm, I'm trying to think of any other way that they still somewhat believed in his ability, but just because of the logjam of guys they wanted to keep and they were just playing a little bit of of poker here against other teams trying to see if this is a guy that sneaks through because he's not as highly valued as some other skill sets. I think they probably set a number at how many players they can protect. A limit of 11 guys. And he was 12. I just, or maybe even 13. And they knew that there were going to be some casualties. And I think they were willing to live with that being one of them instead of, you know, John Kenzie Noel or whoever else was down the list. Well, I'm just, I just continue to be enthusiastic about the way that they've gone through players that it's clear they've gotten their answer on. God, last year was just beating your head against the wall with so many players and Okay, so you want to give Yu Chang some some run because he had a, a couple of good weeks, and I get it, but moving on from Yu Chang, maybe he goes on and has a okay career, but here it just wasn't working, and there's so many other guys that you needed to find out about, so cycle through them. They do, doing that with Bobby Brad, I've just been so much happier with the way that they've accelerated this this year because haven't we complained about that for years? That they just stick with these guys for way too long well after they've earned their their answer on what they actually are. No more watching corpses. It's like, we know this guy has no future here. Stop trotting him out there. No more of that. Speaking and they of have to move quickly. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, there's a lot of teams here in Major League Baseball that have been planning for the future, and they still just remain terrible. The Baltimores of the world, Detroit, everyone's darling, and heck, even I think we pumped them up a little bit, Kansas City, Seattle, obviously Oakland just entered this territory, and they've been there many times before, Los Angeles, these teams can't get out of this funk, this whatever you want to call it, it's like a cloud that hangs over the organization, and I bring it up, Zach, been thinking about this for a few weeks, even going back to when Ryan Lewis and I did our report cards, and I think the team got mad because they played their best baseball since we completed that show. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Which is just extremely comical. Made us all look Do you hear a baby in the background, by the way? I I will be happy about. Oh, I got to listen. Maybe? Maybe? I think he's quiet now. Okay. Do I... Have I been far too hard on this organization I, I compare them to and, and maybe I shouldn't but I compare them to the way the Yankees operate I compare them to where Toronto's at right now Tampa Bay um, the White Sox before this year you know Houston I think are they on a level with any of these teams the, the answer is most likely no maybe the White Sox this year and so I think okay well they're just they're not ready they're still 
somewhere in this middle ground and it's going to be a year or two and they got all these young players coming up and I feel like maybe at times I'm being a little bit too critical or hard considering where this team is at. They are the youngest team in Major League Baseball and they're 29 and 27 right now. Now, I don't know that I've seen enough so far this year. I mean, the run differential is kind of crazy that they have the best in the Central. And if you look at their expected win-loss record, actually three games better than Minnesota as far as the the run differential goes. But I, when I compare them to teams like the Yankees and Toronto, that's probably not what I should be doing. I should be looking at the other teams that are, have been in a building, rebuilding situation and see how difficult it has been for them to get out of that territory, no matter how many moves they've made, how many signings they've and, and trades that they've made. Those acquisitions haven't turned them into serious contenders. And then you have the Angels firing Joe Madden and him getting a mohawk, and no one saw it, I guess. I, I don't know. <laughs> Is there any proof of that? I feel like he'd be someone to make something like that up. Anyway, am I being unfair? Because maybe I should just be looking at the fact that all of these other teams that are trying to get to perennial contending status can't get there. And Cleveland, to their credit, they're not in that territory. They're not in that funk. They can't escape. These players coming up, haven't these young players looked like, yes, they belong, but they don't look like they're stuck in this funk of like what the Browns have been in, where players come in and they just lose all their talent because they're just surrounded by suck constantly. It hasn't been that way for the guard. So am I being too unfair? Do I need to be more lenient and just give them credit for the fact that they're the youngest team in baseball right now and they're kind of semi-sort of competing here? Yes and no. I, I think a couple of things. One, tanking offers no guarantees, right? Because in baseball especially, you know, when, when you're tanking and you're stripping it all down, Sure, maybe you get the number one or the number two pick, um, but you're you're that's still a crapshoot, and you're waiting five years to find out if it was worth your while. We've seen so many examples of that go sideways. You mentioned the Orioles have been tanking forever, and um, the Pirates. I don't know what they're ever doing. Detroit, like it's been brutal there for a while, and it's you still don't really have the evidence that. There are really bright days ahead. So Cleveland decided a long time ago, and I think it started really when Terry Francona got here, that they were not going to do that. They were not going to follow that path that guaranteed four or five years of 95-plus losses. Part of it because they didn't think the fans would come back. Um, And so it does a couple things. Number one, what you do see is Teams in that position like Oakland and Baltimore, Pittsburgh, whatever, when you're tearing it all down, the main reason is you strip the payroll down. That's when you're able to to make some money. Not saying that you don't normally, but when your payroll is, I mean, I don't, like Oakland's is what, like 30-something million? Like, of course, like even if they have 2,000 fans in there every night, like they're not hemorrhaging money. So that's that's as important to those franchises as getting the better draft pick or whatever, because there isn't as much incentive in tanking in baseball as there is in the NFL, where you get that number one pick, there's your franchise quarterback. Or the NBA, where, yeah, now it's you only have maybe a 14% chance at the number one pick, but it's better than being you know, the sixth worst team and having a 3% chance at it. So there's not as much incentive in baseball. I, I still think they need to decentivize it even more and just encourage teams to spend more than anything. But, you know, those teams like the Yankees, they never have to worry about having a season where they're not, their goal every single year is to win the World Series. But it doesn't always work out that way, right? Like, Tampa's kind of done really well in this division lately. We've seen Boston have some really rotten seasons, even though they're spending a ton every single year. So... I think you can commend the way the front office has operated to keep this team afloat, where even in a down year, the point of it is to show that you're not going to be down for long. And I think that helps where this year, I think it's similar to what the Cavs did, where it's like, hey, the end result of the season is probably not going to be a deep playoff run and, you know, 
You're not going to be like overly thrilled about what they accomplished in 2021, most likely. But you're setting the table where you can see, hey, 2023 could be really fun. 2024 could be crazy. Um, and I think it's just so, it, it, it's commendable what they're able to do when, like, if you're the Tigers and Royals, you're probably like, all right, let's tear this thing down and then we build back up. Like, the Royals drafted all these highly touted pitchers in 2018. So they were probably thinking 2022 is our year. Those guys will be, like, in the major leagues. Maybe they got their feet wet in 2021, and then we really turned it on in 2022. And they're looking, and they're like, okay, like, maybe the White Sox are going to be tough, but the Twins and the the Guardians, like, they'll be at the bottom. They'll be rebuilding. And it's like, no, (laughs) the Guardians are still right there where they usually are. So... It's got to be annoying for the teams who have tried to do it a certain way and it just isn't working and you're probably kicking yourself. I mean, that's, it's, look, it's, it's, it's why Cleveland front office people get hired elsewhere, right? I mean, they, they are so good at what they do, but I think where you've been harsh or, or where it's, it's maybe fair to be critical is you can't have it both ways. You can't say, oh, we're not going to. We're not going to tear it down. We're going to try to keep this team strong, keep it afloat, and like make those downturns as quick and tolerable as possible. But then when you have the upswing and when you are in that prime position to go win something, I think you have to be more aggressive. And, and more than anything, you have to be more financially flexible. And I think you can make the argument that they were when they signed Edwin Encarnacion. Um, but then the the... The door to the bank account slammed shut pretty quick after that. And they didn't do anything in 2018 or 2019 to give themselves a chance. Or 2020. Um, and it felt like they wasted Francisco Lindor. And how are we talking about the Dolans and payroll and Lindor again right now? Um, but this is... I, I think it's a it's We didn't a do that the entire time you were gone. It's the a entire nuanced, time you were gone. That never happened. <laughs> it's a nuanced discussion. I think there are elements of it where... We've been fair about it, and maybe we've been a little critical about it, but I think if you I think if you can compartmentalize and, and forget about the whole, hey, are they spending enough when it's time to go in, and just talking about the way to sort of rebuild or retool on the fly, like this is so much more palatable to the fan base than what they're going through. I mean, I, I was talking to someone recently, and I was like, they were showing shots of the crowd in Baltimore and there was nobody there. It's a beautiful ballpark, but they've been just punched and punched and punched. It's like, what motivation would you have to go there? Even on a nice weekend to go see Adley Rutschman. That's like, I don't know. There's not, they, they might have bright days ahead of them, but it's, especially in that division, it's, it's rough being a fan of those teams. I'm sure. Well, not only that, but there's no guarantee for these young players once they come up, as you're talking about with the Royals, with Rutschman. You know, he's been terrible. And so it would be great if you saw some return on on your investment. And in this case, an investment is of your time while they're bad. And because the game is what it is right now with younger players, it's so difficult for them to break in. It takes a while. Even that, that Roy- I think we've mentioned this before, even that Royals run in 14 and 15 those guys were at the tail end of their control with the royals because it took forever for hosmer Mm -hmm. and moustakis and kane and all of those guys to come together to finally realize their full level of talent and it all came together in those years and it worked out for them they won a world series and that's great but it doesn't always work out as we say a thousand times on the show it doesn't translate into a linear progression sometimes guys never blossom at the major league level they don't always do it at the same time so i i guess while i have been critical you've been critical and rightfully so a lot of times about this organization i think being where they're at in the standings the fact that they do this every year where even if they're not a true contender they're nobody's easy pickings on the schedule but i I, they, they deserve the credit for being in the position they are given the the roster being what it is and the number of younger players that they have to count on and we're kind of getting what we've we've begged for for a long time. Just let the young kids play. And for the most part, you've gotten a great 
return on that. And it's not to say that the the method that they've chosen with this recalibration, because it's not, there are downsides to it. I mean, they kind of shut their own window, right? Um, but it's not to say that it's it's a bulletproof formula, because there are other teams who have tried, like the Reds operate in the same fashion, where they don't tear it all the way down, and... Um, They've tried to make some short-term gains like they that some of their trades in the past, like the Trevor Bauer trade, getting a year and a half of control of him, um, but then not really doing anything with it. it. They haven't won a playoff series in 30 years. So it's not, it's not a perfect formula. You still have to be really good at what you're doing to make it work. Um, but it's just in terms of in terms of what sports should be, and there are many ways to win, it's it's just so much more preferable to, to have a team sort of try to rebuild on the fly and not stoop to that level where, like, they always say hope springs eternal every, every year in February, right? 30 teams report to camp and there's optimism everywhere. But is there really, like, in Pittsburgh... Is there optimism? Is there, is there optimism <laughs> in Baltimore year after year? I mean, it's, I don't know. I feel for those fan bases, and I think it's, it's just better. I mean, if you look at Cleveland, I mean, we're gonna look back at this, and I think the the big question is we can't make assumptions about what's ahead. I think you can be encouraged and, oh. and think that this team is set up to be a, a contender in twenty twenty three through twenty twenty. I don't know. Seven, eight, but they're gonna have to make some really critical decisions with personnel that I think are gonna define exactly what that window looks like. So they've they've definitely taken steps forward so far this season, and they're certainly moving in the right direction. I think that's why there's a little bit of a a buzz about them, a good feeling about them among the fan base now. But it's gonna be up to the front office to then. You know, take what you've done where you've you've set yourselves up to have a chance to just rebuild on the fly with maybe only one down year. Um, but to, to really nail this, you're going to have to make the right trades. You're going to have to make the right talent evaluations. Uh, and it's we'll see what that looks like. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of pressure on this team in the very near future. But I think for now, you can maybe enjoy it in the same way that we kind of talked about with the Cavaliers. You enjoy it for what it is at that point. You know that there are going to be some more difficult days ahead in the future, some very uh, tough choices to be made about who you keep, what trades you make. But for now, you can kind of enjoy watching these these younger kids play. And Zach turns on his television. He sees young kids there. Then he turns around at his home, and he sees a baby there. Okay, I need I need a full report. You've now been a dad for... Is it going on a month? Oh, Almost a month? Is it? Today's June 13th, so 27 days, yeah. I need that rapid reaction to dadhood. Fatherhood for you, what's it been like? It's been great. He is a great sleeper. That changes everything, as you know. Oh, yes. Um, I mean, there were some rough nights early on where we weren't sure what the right routine was or what we were searching for, and then... Flipped a switch, and for a couple of weeks now, he sleeps like he wakes up once in the middle of the night, and it's not until like five a.m. and it's just it's oh, beautiful, it's perfect. Um, so that's that's great. The As dog is sure not the scariest. <laughs> dog has not stolen any dirty diapers yet, so that's a plus. Oh, that is that is coming. That is coming. Uh, as as many have probably told told you already, the scariest morning that you will ever have as a parent. Well, that, I, maybe it's a bit of hyperbole there, but it is very scary. The first morning you wake up and the child slept all the way through the night <laughs> and you look over and it's 7.30 on your clock and you're like, oh my God, it, it's bliss, it's fear, like <laughs> did something happen? And you go in there and you see the baby still sleeping. Oh, that's such a, that's a godsend. So I'm, I'm hoping those days arrive for you very soon. 
he, I'm, I'm wondering if he's going to be a lefty. He, he makes like a throwing motion with his, he always has his arms up and he makes like a throwing motion with his left hand all the time. So I need to stick a, I got to stick a mini baseball (laughs) in there at some point. (laughs) I am not shocked. Although I see he's already been put into Harry Potter threads before you could get a baseball Jersey on him. It's out of control, but uh, I will say I want to throw in here quickly. So I'm, I'm technically not even back to work yet. Um, I know some people have been complaining about that, but it'll be worth it. I, I did sneak into the ballpark a, a couple times recently and um, have some conversations, gather some material. I've got a lot of stuff uh, coming very, very soon. Um, and I was able to, I'll tell you what, I, I had to to turn down some, some offers offers to buy people beer um since i was on leave but a a devoted listener named luke was able to find me at one of the games last week um and i was able to hook him up but then that that means i gotta tell our buddy louie in denver (laughs) it's not gonna happen this time but in the near future hopefully yeah because they always make those trips to denver so just wait for the next one like every six years well no with the new schedule it'll be yeah the changes every other year yeah all right well i'm glad to hear things are uh going fun for you we've missed you though on the show we have and i'm glad you're back it's good to see your smiling face i don't know how long it's going to be smiling for the rest of today but it's good for zach i listen to every episode bull crap I did, but hey, that intro was unbelievable. Can can we? I want to listen to it again. Okay, for Zach Meisel and me, TJ Zuppi, here's this again. Oh my God, hide your ears. That diaper needs a change. Who will change the beer? <laughs> was it all in one take? Yeah, you can hear the part where I mess up, but I was like, whatever. A diaper needs a change, and who will change it? The baby's in control, and the daddy can't take it. Crying's gotta end, it's your turn to take him. It's all about to sleep, and you're not gonna get it. Burp him over your shoulder, ready to ralph. Oh my god, it's everywhere, better grab a towel. He is the babe, and he makes the rules. Grab that binky and dance like a fool. Try to figure out when the crying's gonna be. Come on over, dad, don't forget that blankie. Peekaboo is the best thing you can say. Cause he is the babe, and he wants to play. Happy. It's beautiful. That's the best Father's Day gift I'll receive. <laughs> this diaper needs the change. All right, we're out of here. Bye. <laughs>